and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and my favorite fictional mentor is Lil from Ingrid Law's Savvy, because she is so wholesome, and she is a mentor to weird, geeky adults as well as to the homeless children. And it's very cute. Um, I'm Kristen, and I didn't really think about this a lot, but I can say that the mentor that haunted my childhood is, I think his name is Ash from the Alex Ryder series, where you get into, you get into the book and you think that like, oh, Alex has found family to connect with. He has not found family. He found betrayal. And, uh, it, it, uh... It made me nervous anytime a mentor got introduced in a book just because I was like, this better not be another Ash. So I don't know if he's my favorite, but he's made the biggest effect on me. Mm. Yeah. I'm Caitlin, and my favorite fictional mentor, I don't know if this is my favorite one. It's just the one that's occurring to me right now. But in the Truly Devious series, there's this awful, like, alcoholic cigarette addicted true crime addicted like researcher who's trying to help the uh the main character crack this very very old cold case of a very interesting murder that happened and she is just such a mess and awful and i like her a lot because i like messy characters (laughs) that whole series is great truly devious i love it i will second that fantastic all right, so today, as you can probably tell by our intro question, we are talking about the care and feeding of mentor figures, also known as trotting out the old Gandalf. So let to start, what are mentor figures good for? What do we mean by a mentor figure and where do they feature in the stories we love? Um, I think the, the classic way to talk about a mentor is that a mentor is a person who sort of coaches your main character, your protagonist through their burgeoning abilities and often is sidelined or killed during the real conflict because they're really powerful and could solve the problem easily maybe um (laughs) but I actually did some googling and I found out that mentor is actually from the odyssey he's uh it's actually Athena who's disguised herself as an old man to advise Telemachus which I thought was pretty cool like this is an old trope it's been around for a really long time well I think that the mentor figure is a fixture in the hero's journey where you have a character who is like informed that they're special in some, I don't know if this is really true. This is the the hero's journey according according to Caitlin. There's a character who's informed that they are needed or special for some reason by a mentor. And then the mentor helps them learn about the world and about whatever is special about them. And like after like lots of difficulty and like a coming of, like a, a, they have to have the character come to some sort of realization about themselves and like come into their own. And then the mentor dies, leaving them alone to face the real problem. And like Kristen just said, the mentor has to go away because the main character has to do it by themselves. And from a, Oh, go ahead. No, all you, Aaliyah. I was just going to say from a mechanical standpoint, mentors are so crucial in the hero's journey because they really speed up the learning curve for whatever new world, new powers, new situation the hero is facing. The mentor already has all the answers or at least a sufficient amount of answers to hold the readers over. And so it can be a really nice way to give your main character access and understanding of what's going on uh, without them having to blunder through and, and trial and error it by themselves. Well, and if you think about mentors and like 
you know, there's Gandalf and there's Dumbledore, who at the end of every little bit of story, they're like, I probably should have told you this earlier, but let me tell you something about the world. Like in every single Harry Potter book, at least for the first four, Harry gets pulled aside and Dumbledore is like, let me tell you this chunk of something about your life. And so it's like a, a frame for the story where there's the person who knows everything, who is feeding it to us. Very, it's almost like having a narrator. Not really. It's not the same thing at all, actually. I just said that and it came out of my mouth. But um <laughs> Yeah, there's the person who's in charge and who knows everything. Well, I, I was going to say that I think it, um, the, the aspect of them knowing everything sort of varies based on the type of book you're doing. Because sure. if you're doing yeah. like a classic, well, well, I can think of a magical school. I can think of a couple of magical school fantasy novels where the mentors are like crazy teachers who don't attempt to make sense. Like The Name of Wind has that. The Poppy oh, yeah, War has that. Where they're sort of like everyone thinks they're mad, and and so. But in reality, they're the ones who are the most. Yeah, not they mad. they know what's going on. They're yeah. with it. They just don't care. And I, I I just think there are so many different ways to do a mentor, and even in books that aren't the classic little the classic uh, hero's journey, I think you can still have like a spiritual or sort of like an emotional mentor. Like, I'm thinking of. Um, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe where there's not a lot about that that's a hero's journey but Ari's parents are really really important and um because they help him realize something really important about himself and they're like a source he can constantly turn to um as he sort of figures out life and I I think that falls within the mentor category even if those sort of mentors you know, don't have the beard, don't die, don't do the classic mentor shtick. Well, and I think there are lots of different takes even on that mentor shtick. I mean, there's this whole group of, of YA, like not A-line or A-plot romance books where the mentor is actually the boy and then the boy betrays them. And so he doesn't die, but he's no longer a source. And so the person has to come into their own and be the person they need to be without this boy because the boy will probably either kill them or you know <laughs> I don't know what else there's <laughs> there's the whole betrayal thing yeah yeah so that brings up a good point then um because there are so many different ways to do mentors and because it's such a trope you know back to Athena herself um how can we make them natural so they don't automatically scream I'm plugging in a mentor here in my hero's journey so that in the third act, they're like, he's going to die. Yeah. He's going to die. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, the key is to make them more than the straightforward archetype. Like you can be as tropey as you want, but I think that you want them to feel like they are complex uh, people and not just sort of filling in a blank. Like a mentor, sure, they may be wise and powerful, but they're also weak and human. They mess up. They're going to be fallible sometimes. They're going to disagree with your main character. And I think if you if you flesh out the motives for why your mentor wants to be mentoring your hero or give them opinions that don't necessarily agree with the main character or you play with the tropes, um, I think that you're going to end up with a well-rounded, more natural-feeling character. Mm -hmm. Well, and I also think that your main character's relationship to that mentor can change up what a mentor relationship actually looks like a whole lot. Like I was just thinking of um, The Guinevere Deception by Kirsten White. Um, the mentor relationship in that, I mean, Merlin and Guinevere have a mentor-mentee relationship, but but Merlin actually isn't in the book that much. 
Um, it's a lot of memories and there's a lot of conflict where you have the mentee spoilers kind of not really actually realizing that maybe she hasn't been given all of the information and that the information she has been given is skewed and that her mentor had a very different purpose maybe than she thought he did. And so you can definitely take a trope where you have a mentor who looks straightforward and then twist it so that it's like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Like maybe we are now. Well, see, I just talked about all of the YA boys who are betraying people. <laughs> it's not necessarily like a straight up betrayal, but it could just be like we don't have the same goals. And so we're going to diverge, diverge from each other here. Or you can have mentors that try to mentor but are not successful because the main character doesn't cooperate or like i mean there's lots of different ways you can play with how that relationship develops and plays out i mean you have like the father-like figures or you can have like the the angry stepmother figure or you can have like all sorts of things or literally the villain like uh mm -hmm. in chaos walking may apprentice oh, yeah. is he's definitely a mentor figure he teaches todd how to level up but he also straight up sucks so <laughs> Well, and so, yeah, there are so many different ways. Another way to switch things up is to have more than one mentor, you know, right? So that the hero is getting some mentoring from the villain and some from their parents and some from their significant other. Um, and so, which which models life more closely, right? You know, we, we get mentoring from a lot of different sources. So that can be a way to, to move the spotlight off any one mentor. Oh, there was something I was going to say. No, I can't remember what it is. Uh something really amazing actually so <clears throat> not really well <laughs> it's important enough caitlin you mentioned that one of the reasons to change up the trope is how people aren't looking for the mentor to die in the third act so dumb question but it needs to be asked do the mentors need to die no i don't think so i do think that for a main character to really come into their own. I mean, I think one thing about mentors that are really interesting in like more classic situations, at least in like in like Lord of the Rings, where you have a mentor who's like, I'm amazing and I'm all powerful and I will fight the Balrog. But the reason he isn't taking point on this quest is because he doesn't believe he can do it. And so you have a mentor figure who's saying, I will help you every way that I can. And I'm way more powerful than you, but I don't believe I can do this. I don't really believe you can do this either, but you get to do it. So, you know, have fun with that. And so when they die, you have a character who's taking on an impossible task by themselves. And that's where you get into like that climactic, like this feels really difficult. It feels impossible because even the mentor didn't believe it was possible sort of situation. And then, and you have to do it alone. But I think that you can create situations like that just as easily with like rifts between people. You can create it through betrayals. You can do it in all sorts of ways where you just have somebody separated from their mentor for whatever reason. And you could even have them like on vacation in a middle grade book or something like that. I don't know. He was out picking lollipop flowers. As one does. And then the dragon came. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I think ultimately the reason so many mentors do die is because the author wants to amp up the tension and force the hero to face the ultimate whatever it is, the ultimate doom by himself. Um, because mentors, just in the position they are, offering guidance, knowledge, support, they kind of... Um, give the reader a sense of safety about the character, at least they give the character that sense of safety. So when they're removed, it really, it pushes the character to the boundary. And so um, separation, like you said, can totally do that. I think separating the mentor from the main character is particularly important in middle grade novels, just because a pillar of middle grade novels is, you know, the kid doesn't have to be a kid anymore. The kid gets to 
have control over their destiny in a certain way. And so taking away the mentor, having them go pick lollipops is a way to do that. I actually feel like we don't see as many mentors in books anymore. Like in YA, I mean, sure, there are mentor figures, but I feel like the whole point of a lot of YA is like, I'm out on my own and I'm figuring out who I am. And it's really hard to do that if you have a mentor telling you who you are. And in adult novels, while there have been quite a few of like the farmhand boy who is then discovered right as he's about to be murdered by Trollocs or whatever else, and and he's brought under the wing of a mentor who then like brings him into his own like magical whatever I mean, we're talking specifically about fantasy and sci-fi here. I mean, there's lots of mentorship relationships in other types of books. But I feel like I haven't seen that as much in adult lit lately either, like at least in genre fiction. So I think that there are lots of ways to have your character figure out who they are and how they relate to the world without a mentor. But it is a, a tried and true trope that you can work with too. Kristen cleared her throat, so I assume she has something to say. No, I was literally just clearing my throat. <laughs> I was just thinking about A Darker Shade of Magic, and I was like, who's the mentor in that one? I guess the second one, Lila Bard has, his name is Dracula backwards. What is Alucard? There we go. Alucard is a mentor. Yeah, the pirate guy. But she doesn't ever actually treat him like a mentor. Mm-mm. And um, I was trying to think, Kel doesn't have a mentor. Yeah. And so I don't think it's essential. But if it is the type of book where you have, I mean, I think mentors go with like that chosen one thing. Like the... The hero's journey, which tends to have like a character who is given a task that's too big for them that they have to grow into, which tends to gravitate towards chosen one narratives, which doesn't have to, but it does tend to. So it's a specific kind of thing that you can also apply to other kinds of stories. So I guess another important question then is, does your story absolutely need a mentor? Or if you decide not to go that route, what are some workarounds to still get the same benefits of a mentor without having that specific character slot in your story I just think I think a book with a mentor is inherently a different sort of book than a book that doesn't need a mentor just because you're following different plot patterns so like like if you're doing the hero's journey and the mentor is an important part of that that's great but you could just as well write an effective book that is not a hero's journey or is the hero's journey but doesn't have a mentor I think just the the benefit that I really like about mentors is is that sort of like emotional connection between characters. Um, as long as you give your main character someone to feel close to or that they can confide in, and I think you get a lot of the same benefits that way without necessarily. I was actually just thinking about this in terms of like the Way of Kings trilogy or trilogy, the Way of Kings <laughs> monstrosity, whatever it trilogy. Is. <laughs> All the books would be longer. I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking about that because, I mean, Kaladin kind of is the mentor in his group. And there's all sorts of interesting turning things on its head when members of his group decide they don't want him as a mentor anymore or they decide that they do. And so, I mean, there are all kinds of ways you can play with that trope. Well, and a lot of times mentors are there to help, like, teach your ability. And with Kaladin, it's literally trial and error and go run those bridges and don't die and so I guess if you throw your main character into situations where they have to figure out their powers or their abilities or they're fighting whatever really quickly then you're going to be able to get the same oh we're going to practice we're going to learn we're going to test those abilities so you don't really need a person to be like directing you think he did that quickly <laughs> he survived. So he did it quicker than. <laughs> I feel like half of the book goes by before anything. 
Okay, but he he's doing it subconsciously out. the whole time. That's, that's true. Well, and then you have like the the I'm almost breaking away from my mentor stuff because Syl, I guess, could be a mentor for him who's very unhelpful. But <laughs> having like a three year old as a mentor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, lots of different ways to play with that. And honestly, a lot of my favorite books don't involve mentors at all because sometimes your story is is that you know your main character can't trust anybody or confide in anybody and that's totally fine too it's just a different type of book which I think I mean any any story you're telling is trying to latch on to people's real life lived experience and I think a lot of people go through their lives feeling like they don't know what's going on and so it's a really easy thing to latch on to because even if the character in the book is like I don't know how to use my magic I don't know how to not be killed by zombies <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this situation in my life and I have to figure it out it gives people that feeling of they figured it out like they're brave they're doing all of the cool stuff that I wish I could do even though my situation is I don't know how to do my job at work or you know whatever else and then I think mentorship type of relationships it's much more of like a parental like there's somebody guiding you and those are things that people can identify with as well so yeah yeah so it, i think that in summation we can say that mentors are a great tool to add to your writing toolkit and based on the kind of story you want you can decide if you should pull them out or if they should stay in the belt the whole time <laughs> And that's my um, subtle transition to say it's time for us to move on to the next portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. Uh, we oh, wait. I have to say one thing yeah, about Tony Stark being a bad mentor, so his mentee dies. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like <clears throat> poor Spider-Man. Anyway, sorry. But he didn't die, and Tony had no control over that. I will not stand for this, Caitlin. <laughs> He's a bad mentor for a lot of reasons, but it's not because Peter Parker got killed. <laughs> That's true. He's just, in general, a bad mentor. Well, I have to say, I think that the MCU really missed an opportunity with with the snap because I think the world is going to look really different five years after you've lost half of your population, and there's no way your infrastructure is going to be able to seamlessly handle the transition of returning 4.5 billion people. And I think the fact that it's like, oh, it's the blip. No, these people aren't going to have homes. They're not going to have jobs. You're going to have an entire displaced population. Yeah, Yeah. I but apparently... (laughs) get that off my chest <laughs> okay cool sorry now we can transition to the part where we critique submission. <laughs> yeah so so hopefully we won't let our mentee die in this situation we'll give good um feedback but um quick review of how we critique we try to be non-prescriptive but you can see this submission for yourself on our website litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation and you can see all of our notes there And if you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there as well. So a quick summary of this week's submission. In the 1920s, 11-year-old Emma bargains with her sister for a bicycle ride, fights with her sister for a bicycle ride, and concludes said fight in her deceased uncle's forbidden study. Mm -hmm. What are some things we liked? I was just going to say I loved the voice. I was Mm -hmm. really, really there for the voice. I think there were some really great uh, examples of that. They had no idea that I had about as much influence on Addie as a grain of salt would have had on a bowl of peaches, which I thought was a delightful metaphor. And this main character is talking about this boy that they know who says that if your eyeballs come out of your head, you have to be careful with your steps so you don't squish them because it would be like you stepped on a giant bug. And since Tommy had an older brother studying to be a doctor, we all knew it must be true. I just thought it was very funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Loved that. 
Um, and I love the way it starts. She runs into her sister's bedroom and like the very first line says, I had a secret and I couldn't wait to use it. That's such a great beginning for a story. And it really like it really encapsulates the the feeling of this story and the main character. There's so many great character moments in here, both with her and her sister. We have our sister who like tries to drag her by her braids a couple of times and like chases her down the stairs. And, and the dad says that, oh, I have to go find the line. I'm sorry, I didn't put my notes in the document because I don't know why I did that. But it says the dad said about all of them that like her oldest brother was smart or something like that. And that... Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. And that she's like the strongest and most determined and that his her sister is the most beautiful and also the fastest runner, which happens right as her sister starts chasing her down the hall, which is great. I also had a note about the family dynamic. I just um, felt like the different family uh, characters were written really well and really realistically. There was a fun banter, banter between the sisters and um, also just a really fun dynamic, um, a realistic one. One line I liked is when um, Emma, our main character, says she doesn't want to get her mom to take her to do her school project because then it will turn into her mom's project. Oh, yeah, I, I liked that, that was one. funny. Mm-hmm. So good. That This author does a really good job telling us the time period without actually telling us the time period. Like, um, within the first page or so, I automatically knew we were in the 20s because, like, there were certain markers, like, with... Um, explaining that her sister wants to bob her hair or like the beaded dress and then by the end we're talking about women's suffrage and so I just thought there was a lot of good show rather than tell but I also love this part where it just screamed middle grade voice to me and also told me a lot about Emelina but Emelina is confused about her aunt always talking around death instead of just saying the word dead and I thought that was a really great reaction from an 11 year old I really like that one, too. I have it marked. I also really like this moment at the end where we have um, two adults talking about something that's pretty serious. They're talking about women's rights and, like, a woman being confined to her home by her husband. And, like, there's stuff happening with a capital S. And her reaction is, my nose itches. Like, she's not – she's really not keyed into it. She's more worried about being caught in the office. And I think it's such a great, like, way to give information to the reader, but also to maintain your middle grade. Like, she does not care. And <laughs> I love it. I'll also say from a technical side, this prose was, was pretty clean, and um, it's clear this uh, author has been writing for a while. So well done. Yeah. What are some things that might need a second look? Um, so I wasn't sure about the setting a little bit. I got that it was in the 20s, but I wasn't sure if we were in a big city. Like, there's a couple of references to them being in a city. It's The mom says that it's a castle in the middle of the city, but then it talks about her being able to ride a bike to a dairy. So I wasn't really sure about, this is a very nitpicky small thing. I wasn't sure how big the city was that we were in. I'm guessing if there's like suffragette uh, protests happening, then it must be of somewhat size. I don't know. I'd have to go do research. (laughs) I have to read the book and find out and have it do the research for me about how big of towns were. But I think they say at the very end that they're in Charleston. Do they? Oh, see, that's just me being a bad reader. I'm not sure if I'm right about that, but I seem to remember it being South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because well, it's then that the Charleston chapter of the South Carolina Federation of Women's Clubs. Okay, so that was just me being confused and then glossing over that detail. To be fair, though, I, w- I think I will agree that just because it says that it's the Charleston chapter doesn't tell me if we're actually, like, within the city proper or if we're outside or something. Mm-hmm. Um, on a bigger on a bigger um, issues note, 
I had some questions about who the audience of this book, who this book was written for. I think because Emma's voice struck me as a very 11-year-old voice, and I really enjoyed that. But then the content of the scene struck me as maybe something that was not written to appeal specifically to younger audiences. I think there were a few things that made me think that, and one of them I think was Emma's disinterest in what was going on. She's mostly focused on getting a bicycle to go do her project, but then most of the drama of the scene comes from her having a message from a boy for her older sister and her older sister wearing, you know, a dress that their parents won't approve of and, you know, her uncle's study, which which I did agree that Emma would be interested in the forbidden uncle's study. But up to that point, uh, it kind of felt like because Emma was not super invested in what her sister was invested in and most of the scene focused on what her sister was invested in, it made me have a few questions there. I personally, I'm not sure I agree. I, I actually feel like this is hitting it pretty squarely on the head for me. I think a lot of times middle grade has this awesome way to talk about big issues, but tell them in a way that kids will care about. And I think because we have this sense of Emmalina observing and it being forbidden and, and that being the main focus, the main driving focus of the story, I actually am okay with it. I mean, if Adam Gidwitz can do the Inquisitor's Tale and middle grade readers can like that, I think you can get away with quite a lot. <laughs> I actually am going to side with Kristen on this one. I will say, though, that I feel like the whole secret thing was a little bit drawn out. I wasn't really sure what her purpose was. Like, I, I know by the end that she wants to use the bicycle to get to the dairy, but it's not really all the way ever stated all the way what she wants. And then when she finally reveals the secret, she runs away and she does not mean to get caught. Like, she's afraid of getting her hair pulled out. And so I wasn't really sure why she had chosen to do it that way when it was obvious she wasn't going to get what she wanted if she continued to handle it that way. And like, even like, she doesn't even start with, I have a secret and I want your bicycle. Like she's, I, I mean, I really like that. We've got some interesting sibling dynamics where she knew she had to kind of like manipulate her way into it. That's very interesting. But I feel like the way she actually gives the information and then never actually zeroes in on it was a little bit difficult for me to follow. I'll second that. I wasn't sure what she wanted from the interaction. Honestly, my only thing is like so nitpicky. I don't even know if it's a real thing, but she she claims not to know the meaning of eradicate early. And then she uses the word pompous to describe her shoes. And I wondered, <laughs> would she know that? And then I thought, oh, maybe she's not using the word pompous right anyway. So you can probably disregard that entirely, but that made me stop and think more than I probably should have. <laughs> well, and also the use of eradicate. I was like, it seems like it's correct, but it's it's used in such an awkward way. I was like, I'm not sure that Eddie knows what it means either necessarily. And so, find that sentence again, because there was something really funny about it to me. Oh, oh, um, you're right. Addie uses it in a way where I'm like, oh, I don't think she used that right. But then in the narration, and Lena says, I had no idea what eradication meant, but she wouldn't get rid of me so quite so easily. And because it said, get rid of me, I thought, because that's like what eradicate means. I thought she yeah. knew what it meant. And so I thought it was funny, but I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be as funny as I found it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny, like, question marks, like, who knows what here? Because I wasn't really sure if the older sister knew, but she was saying that she didn't know. But then she did know because she talked about it. Yeah. I, if you, in my notes, I highlighted all of the, 
I starting sentences. I had, I darted, I almost, I pirouetted. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of similar sent sentence structure throughout the whole thing. So I only did that on the first page, but it might all need a good look over. Awesome. Yeah, I didn't have any other notes either. Very fun submission. Um, to this author, thanks for submitting. We're very glad we got to read it. Our next guest will be Lisa Maxwell, New York Times bestselling author of The Last Magician series. If you'd like a critique from Lisa, submit your work by April 1st. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.